Let's find our seats and we're going to continue this morning on our series that we're looking at at the moment from Ezekiel 47. Hello, Betty. Uh, How is everyone? Good. Excellent. Good to hear. Well, we have a, we are, every year we like to take a focus and journey together one step closer to our vision or our our mission, why our church exists, which we believe it's to be a community that is centered on Christ, that can be the community outside of these walls as well as the community that sits and joins with us here this morning. And every year we like to take a focus in moving one step closer to that as a church. And this year our focus is all in. And we have been looking at that in a series at the moment from a, from a prophecy in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 47, where Ezekiel was given a vision and taken on a journey by an angel and, and showed, shown this story and this, I guess, this outcome that the gospel message was going to bring to all of the earth. And so for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the different depths that Ezekiel experienced in that story. So the angel takes him and shows him a river or a stream that eventually becomes a river and shows him different depths of ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. And then at the point where he can no longer walk in the water and he has no choice but to swim. And it's real interesting if you set the context, we'll we'll read it again in a moment to refresh our memory, but the context at this time is Ezekiel was living in exile. All the children of God had been taken captive at that point, and the city of Jerusalem, including the temple, was in absolute ruin. It was in rubble. So in the physical, he was seeing a, a city and a temple that had been destroyed, but in this vision, he was seeing it built to perfection, and it's a, it's a prophecy of what the message of Christ and his life would bring to the world. And we read it in Ezekiel 47, and it says, In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gate and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for, it's really hard to say, 1,750 or older translations will say a thousand cubits, a cubit being from the elbow to the top of your finger for a measurement. So measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for a thousand cubits and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me across again. This time the water was up to my knees. After another thousand cubits, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,000 cubits and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to sweep in, to swim in, but too deep to walk through. I'm even wearing my glasses for a change today and still reading the words wrong. But it's this, this story of the different depths of this river that the Bible calls the river of healing. 
And in the first week, Graham talked about us being ankle deep in the water and the great analogy of Achilles' heel, the weakness that we can have that can prevent us from going deeper and being strong against the enemy at ankle deep. And then Pam talked about knee deep and the, and the idea that, that we need to be on our knees in prayer. If we are going to be a community of believers that go all in with our life and what God would have for us, we need to be on our knees in prayer. Last week, Steve spoke, and I was in Bali, but I believe that he spoke about being waist deep. And I love the idea that when you get into a flowing stream of, of running water, that's the point where you start to lose a little bit of control. You start to feel the weight of the water against you. You have the ability to perhaps lose your footing a little bit more and, and, and losing control of the life. And today we're going to look at the final step in Ezekiel's prophecy, which is at the point where the water was so deep that he could not walk any further. He could not cross it. He had no choice but to swim. And uh, yeah, last week, um, my wife and I, we went... On, it was our 15th uh, year wedding anniversary on the 1st of March. And, and I, I couldn't remember what we did on our 5th anniversary or our 10th anniversary. So I decided on our 15th that I had to do something that was very memorable. I'm sure we did something special those other years, but I can't remember it. So I thought this time I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just going to blow it out of the park. So I, I organized for us to go on a holiday over to Bali for five nights and, and, and it, was, it was good because I didn't tell her till last Saturday morning and we left at lunchtime. Now I did that for two reasons. Um, firstly, because uh, I like to surprise my wife. Now not in the necessarily the sweet way where you come home with flowers and it's like, I surprise you. I like to do it if it's a little bit cheeky, if it's a little bit of a prank. So I thought this is going to be fantastic. I'm going to wake her up Saturday morning and that night she's going to go to sleep in Indonesia and she has no idea. I thought this would be fantastic. And that's what we did. 6am last Saturday morning, I ran around and woke the kids up and we came in and, and we woke her up. And I felt bad because the night before she said to me, um, oh, this is great. This is one of the first mornings in weeks that I don't have to set an alarm for. And at that moment, I was setting an alarm for quarter to six. So we woke her up and we said, hey, we're going to do two special things today. And, and as a family, we went out by the lake and we did a, a wedding vow renewal little ceremony. The kids reread us our vows and, and it was all very teary. And, and then after that, we told her, hey, tonight, straight after that, you need to pack a bag because you and dad are going to Bali. And so that, that was great for two reasons. Number one, I love to surprise my wife in a, in a, in a cheeky way. So I, I achieved that. She didn't believe it. But literally that morning, she woke up in Australia. That night, she was in Indonesia and had no warning about it except for a few hours to, um, to pack and go. But the second reason was, is, is because Mel never wanted to go to Bali. Obviously, I did. That's why I planned the holiday there. But I've been to Bali a few times and, uh, with our Red Frogs mission team. 
And I, we go to the part of Bali that, it, that all the kind of, if you see a story on the news about Bali that is negative, it comes from this few hundred metres of this road in Kuta where all the partying happens, all the not-so-wise decisions are made. It, it all happens in this part that we go to for red frogs and that's what the media also love to talk about when they do documentaries and, 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 and want to, you know, talk in a negative sense. So I had been coming back for years now with all these not-so-good stories about things that happen. Couple that with the not-so-good stories that you hear on the media and, and Mel had rightly so, formed a view about what Bali was really like. And I had started to say to her, we need to go here for a holiday. There's this whole island. It's beautiful. It's amazing. I never get to go and see it. The people are incredible. But in in her view, she had only heard the bad stories that I came back with and supported by the bad stories and the not-so-good stories that you hear in the media that want to create a bit of hype around when red frogs go and help the schoolies and support them in their not-so-healthy decisions that they make. So I kind of knew that one of the only ways that I was going to get Mel to Bali was to surprise her. And it worked. And it worked. And we had a great time. We did far too much shopping and walking around and weaving through cars on scooters. And it was all, it was amazing. And we just relaxed for a few days. And on one of our last days, we were sitting in this little cafe that we found, drinking coffee, eating breakfast. And, and we we're talking about today. And Mel said, you know, what are you going to be sharing on Sunday? And I, and I talked to her a bit about it. And she said, aren't you going to preach about this? And she knows that when when you're a, you preach and you communicate that your life literally becomes a, a story to be told to hundreds of people at times. And she's very wary that every situation that happens in our life at some point will probably end up being communicated to a large crowd. And she said, aren't you going to preach about this? And I said, well, no, not, not really. We're, we're here on holidays. We're off the clock. You know, what happens in Bali stays in... No, um, that's terrible. We've all seen a current affair. Um, and she said, are you, you going to preach about this? And I said, no, this is our holiday. And she said, but you've got to because don't you realize that I didn't know how much I would love Bali. And P.S., she loves it. She spends her nights on Google at the moment looking at villas in different parts of Bali and, and talking about when we're going next. She said, I didn't know how much... I would love this island until I got here. And I said, you're right, I am going to preach about this. Because it's completely true. Mel, I thought that it would take me a couple of days of touring Mel around all the best places that I knew for her to turn around and go, yes, this is a great place. I love this country. I love this people. I want to bring the family here for a holiday. But she told me in this cafe that 15 minutes after driving out of the airport, weaving in and out of traffic, beeping cars, gripping on to... I had a friend pick us up to try and make it a little bit easier for us. She said within 15 minutes she knew that she was going to love her time in Bali and her mind was going to be changed and her heart was going to be changed towards the people and the place. And I realised... I am going to preach about this 
Because we as a church are journeying together about what a life looks like that is all in for what God wants us to be. A life that says, I'm not going to just stay in ankle deep, knee deep or waist deep, but I'm going to get into the point of the water where the flow of the water takes over, where I don't have control anymore about getting to the other side. I suddenly get washed away in what the river is doing. And that's exactly what happened to Mel. No story, no travel guide, no YouTube video, no Pinterest board of favorite places to go in Bali could change her mind, renew her mind, refresh her heart towards what this country was like until she literally went all in. Got on a plane, maybe against her own will a little bit, got on a plane, landed in a country, put down our bags, went and ate some Nazi goring straight away, shopped, went all in, was a heart change towards exactly what it was. And David talks about this in, in Psalm verse 34. Psalms verse 34, verse 8. And he says, and, this, and what's incredible is this was prayed about three times in the prayer meeting this morning, this verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Some translations say trust. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And oh, the joy of those who trust or take refuge in him. There isn't anything in our life that can convince us the joys and the refuge and the trust we find in God to live an all-in life until we actually do it. Just like our trip to Bali, it was not until our feet hit the ground and we literally tasted what this country had to offer that we found trust and we found refuge and we found joy in what God wanted us to know about that place. Now the question I would like to ask us this morning and it's something to consider and I pray our hearts would be open to, uh, open to it and our minds would allow us to be honest. But what is our biggest fear or the biggest reason why we as individuals will not live a life that is all in? Think about it. We're, we're talking about Ezekiel standing on the bank of a river and if you've ever been to a river that's in that, that's flowing in the country, wherever rivers are, and, and are quite big and flowing fast, you know that when you step into the middle, I remember my dad warning me when I went to Riverwood Downs camp as a kid, and he said, be careful swimming in the river because the edges do not show you what the middle looks like. The middle, and he, I remember him drawing me a picture where the middle was deeper because the flow of the river carves it out more and it's faster. Can you imagine Ezekiel standing on this river wanting to go, let's say, east to west, but as you step into the middle, the river flow changes the direction that you're going. In our minds, we're going A to B, we step into the river that is flowing and our, the direction of our life is changed. 
So what is it that is our greatest resistance, our greatest fear, the reason why we as followers of Christ do not always venture to the point where we lose control, where our life is taken by God, which, P.S., side note, it's not our life anymore, but we still want to take the direction and walk across the river. So what is that fear that holds us back? Is it the fact that it might take more time? It might make our life a little bit more busy to live a life all in? It might cost us from doing things that we want to do? Well, I don't want to. I don't want to do that because then it means I I won't get to do that. Do we fear that it means we're going to have to change careers, not live in the kind of house that we want to live, not drive the cars that we want to drive, go on the holidays? What is it that stops us? Because we all do it from stepping into the middle of the river where our life is swept away by what God is wanting to do. And I would suggest that if you haven't come to an answer in yourself that our biggest fear is fear itself. Exactly that, that it would cost us that we picture a life all in and we think, well, that means we're going to have to go and live like this. We're going to have to move over here. We're going to have to give up everything that our life wants. We want the John 10.10 abundant life. And if we go all in, well, we won't get our heart's desires because it's going to cost us too much to live a life that changes the direction from where we want to go and ends up going the way that God wants us to go. I believe it's that fear that will keep us paddling around at ankle deep, knee deep or waist deep where we can keep a sense of control about the direction of where we're going. A couple of chapters over or a couple of songs over in Psalms, one of my favourite verses is in chapter 37, verse 4 and 5. And I have shared this many a time, but don't let that distract you this morning. It says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do, everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. Now I've shared this before because I love this verse because the Hebrew word where it says there, He will give you your heart's desires is not what we may translate it as he will grant us our heart's desires. It's literally he will give us the desires for our heart. Right? So think about this in the context of being all in. We are standing on the edge of a river going, my heart's desires tell me that I want to cross this river to get to the other side so I can tick the boxes of what I want my life to be. And God says, no, no, hang on. When you jump into the water, I give you, I transplant my heart's desires 
to your heart's desires. So in actual fact, the biggest thing that keeps us from jumping into the water, the fear that our heart's desires will never be fulfilled, actually gets erased when we dive into the water because then God gives us heart's desires that will be fulfilled and give us joy and abundant life. I'll tell you a, a, a personal story to explain this. And, and I say it with humility and I reiterate again that it is my personal story and not yours. But when I finished school... I worked for a, for a great man, a great man of God who is very entrepreneurial and he, he encouraged me greatly in the idea of, um, of that I didn't have to just earn an income from him, that I could look at ideas and start projects and, and, and that eventuated in me having my own businesses and always a part-time business that I would do on the side. And I would, I would, I would love to take time to design my life. I don't know if you've ever done this, and, and it's certainly not a judgment if you have, but, but during those times when I would be looking at different ideas and projects and things that I wanted to start, I would create an inspiration board. Now, this is, this is pre-Pinterest. So I would print out photos of, of cars and houses and holiday places and um, plans for houses and I, I would do business plans up and they would all be about what kind of income that I could generate from that project so that I could live the life that I was designing. At one point, I even remember sitting down and researching because I've always worked online, so web design and internet marketing, things like that. And I, I realised that I even had the potential to live in one economy but earn an income from a different economy and actually live quite well. So if I moved to a place with our family, not just me, such as Thailand or Bali or somewhere like that where the cost of living was so much lower that if I then was able to still earn an Australian income by working online, the difference in how I could design my life was incredible. So I, I remember researching this and thinking about it, and well, if I earn this, what that means over there in terms of what size house I could have and how nice it would be and, and all those kind of things. And then fast forward 10, 15 years, and last week while we were on our holiday, we went and visited some of the work that the Salvos do in Denpasar. They have a girls' home, with 45 orphans or neglected girls, and they have a boys' home with 25, two separate churches with, with these projects. And I walked out of the girls' home because they, they both have these challenges coming up, that their funding, the way they're currently funded, finishes in June. And I said, what are you doing after that? And they said, trust in God. It's 45 girls. The, the, the officer, the Salvo's officer who, who, is the, who leads the church and the home there, she grew up in the orphanage, went off and became a Salvo's officer and has come back and is working at it. Walked out of the boys' home, this incredible facility, 25 boys there, but 80 beds, but only enough resource to take 25 boys off the street. 
And I walked out of there and I, I suddenly, my brain kicked back in. I thought, how can I generate a few hundred dollars a week to keep these orphanages running? A few hundred dollars a week. Maybe can add another 15 boys to the boys' home or keep the girls' home running or send some of the girls to university and college and, and things like that. And God reminded me about this verse. This is my personal story. Because 15 years ago, I would have went to Bali and I would have come home and I would have worked out how I could have lived over there. Because my heart desired across the river was about my life design. And I would have thought, wow, this place is so cheap to live. It's so amazing. If I could just earn this amount of money by only working a few hours a day, I could move my family over here. We could live like kings. It'd be amazing. But I walked out of there and I do trust hear my heart and and I say this with humility but I walked out of there questioning and dreaming about how I could raise a few hundred dollars not so I could go and live in a villa by the beach but so just perhaps a dozen more boys might not sleep on the street that night and God reminded me about why this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because once upon a time I stood on the edge of a river with my heart's desires and said I don't want to dive in because I don't want to lose what is going to bring my life joy. I don't want to lose my abundant life that God has called me to, to, to live like this and to live in freedom and, and abundance and joy. But in diving in the water at some point, my heart's desires are no longer there. They have been replaced with God's heart's desire that none would be lost, that none would perish, that young boys and young girls would not live in cardboard boxes on the street in Denpasar anymore. And the biggest thing that once in my life stopped me from diving in was the fear that my heart's desires would never be fulfilled. Well, those heart's desires aren't there anymore because I have taken delight in the Lord And he has transplanted his heart's desires over the top of mine. It no longer matters to me that I don't get to live by a villa, live in a villa by the beach in some amazing place in Bali. It matters to me that young boys and young girls don't even have a house to live in. And that is the fear that stops us from diving in. But it's the thing that changes the heart upgrade that we get when we do dive in to what God has for us. And that, that there's a reason why this prophecy was given to Ezekiel. Because it had to show what it meant for Christ to come to this world. The city lay in ruin, the temple was destroyed. Ezekiel wasn't seeing what was going to happen in the physical. He was seeing what the world was going to take, what the world was going to get when the hope of Christ came into it. Verse 6, he says, he asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea, the place where no living, no life occurs because the water is so salty. 
The waters of the stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea. It goes on and on and on to talk about that the whole reason that this stream exists is for the harvest. The change that it brings to the desert, the harvest of souls in the world, the life that it brings to the world. That is why church, I don't see why we have any other choice but to step off the bank into the river. There's a world that needs to know that there is a gospel of hope for them. There are people who are lost and dying that need to know that a saviour has already died for them. We as a church have a mission. And I'm sorry, but it's not up to the leadership of the church to see that fulfilled. Nor is it up to the young people, the old people, or the in-between people. It takes all of us to see and to go and to bring life from this river into the world that we are. There are hearts that are broken that need to be healed. There are people who are sick that need to be restored. There are people who are bound by chains that need to know freedom. And it takes all of us to do that. Not a few members of a church. Everyone to dive all in. But if we stand on the bank and fear that we won't get to live the life that we desire, then the world will remain a barren place. But if we as a room full of individuals decide that we are going to dive in, get into the point of the river where we lose control of our life, let God change our desires, then we can write our own vision for what we see in this community, in this city, in this nation, and in the world, in the lives of individuals who will be touched and changed when they hear that there is a river of healing that they can dive into as well. Can I get the the band to come up? I want us to think about this as we close. I, I, I enjoy going to the beach a few times a year. I do. The few times I go, I enjoy it. And I often go in the morning before work. And, and, uh, and you know that feeling when you are, when maybe it's a little bit cold and you kind of get your toes in the water and you start to think, ah, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'll just go for a walk. And then you take a few steps in, in further and you get your knees up and then, and then it starts to feel a little bit okay. This, this is going to be all right. And you go in a little bit deeper and you're working up the courage to kind of dive through that wave. You know that feeling how it's all okay when you get through that wave? Most times, if you go to the beach in summer. Let's keep this analogy very contained so it makes sense. But you dive under that wave and you get out to the back of the waves and that feeling of floating and being carried by the swell. I can see all the people I follow you on Instagram and you live at the beach and you're all nodding at me. I know that feeling. Well, feeling I love the most is when you're about waist deep and you feel the wave pulling you. 
and you know the waves are coming and the water starts to draw and you start to feel that pull into the wave, that pull to go deeper, that pull to leave that place where it's a little bit cold and a little bit awkward and and that feeling on a hot day when you dive into that cold water and you go through a wave. I believe that the Holy Spirit is putting that into this building this morning. That there is a pull happening to go deeper. If you know the feeling, you know what I mean. It's asking us to go in. Pulling us to go in. And I love, I love big waves to a point. I don't like getting thrown around and tossed around and getting, and getting bashed around and tumbling around and getting eyes and ears and noses full of sand and water. And, but there's something about the ability to dive through that and come up the other side of the wave and just begin to ride the swell after the point where the waves are breaking, after the point where it's rough and it's half in, half out, and you're just floating on the back of the wave, just going over them before they even crest. And I want to tell us this morning that the pull of the wave that we feel in the Spirit pulls us through those challenging times that we have in our life. If you are feeling that awkwardness of being half in and half out, the solution is to dive in and go deeper. If you are tired of getting hit by big waves in your life, if you feel like you can't get anywhere because you keep getting pounded by waves, the solution is, is to listen and be pulled deeper into the wave to get past that in our life. That's the added bonus. Not only do our heart's desires get changed, does the world get renewed, refreshed and changed by the message of hope that our life brings. Our life gets past the breakers, gets past the the rocks, the cold, the awkwardness, the jumping over things in our life and we get out to that point where the spirit, where the current takes us through life, trusting in the one that created it. Can we stand as we sing this morning? And I know we're close to finish time according to the clock. And if you need to go, you need to go. But I think this morning we can respond to the Spirit's pull a little bit more. If you're feeling the current pulling you in, this moment now is your opportunity to dive through the waves, to come up the other side. to beckon others to come with you, to live a life in the flow of God. 
We're going to sing this morning about trust and about building our life. And I want you to take this opportunity to hear and feel the Spirit calling you and to go deeper this morning as we sing.